Welcome. This is Jessica Ortner, and our time together is dedicated to feeling good within all of life's complexities. We'll be going on a wandering path, exploring topics like spirituality, productivity, and personal fulfillment. Because happiness is not a destination, it's an adventure. So welcome to Adventures in Happiness. Hi, friend. So staying healthy, whether that's physically healthy or mentally healthy, takes a lot of work and it's incredibly confusing when you are struggling with a health challenge, even struggling with something like anxiety and stress. There is so many options that are incredibly overwhelming. Today, we're going to talk about how to bring some ease and clarity when navigating the healthcare system for whatever you're struggling with. Even if you don't have a specific health challenge, this is definitely an interview to listen to because we also talk about the aspect of mental health and being able to get to a place of feeling centered and strong. To lead the way, we are speaking to Adrienne Nolan-Smith. She is a speaker, board-certified patient advocate, and the founder of Be Well. She had some tough experiences in the healthcare system, but they made her dedicate her life to helping other people prevent chronic health issues and heal them naturally as they arise. I could have spoken to her for another four hours. I find her incredibly wise and articulate and simply fun. So enjoy this interview. I want to say quickly, have you downloaded the Tapping Solution app? If not, what are you waiting for? Just a week ago, we reached 1 million tapping meditations played. 1 million. That's a million times someone decided to release stress and find balance. These tapping meditations are free when you download and register. And if you want to upgrade, there's a small monthly fee and you can unlock hundreds of tapping meditations. But before you get to that, just check out these free ones. You have nothing to lose. Go to your app store and download the Tapping Solution app. Adrian, thanks for being with us. Thank you so much for having me. I'm excited to be. Well, we have been chatting for like 20 minutes because I think we both find each other very interesting. And I'm like, okay, wait, we have to stop and record because I... I need people to listen into this conversation. So when I first learned about your work, I went to your website and I read healthcare is broken, wellness is confusing, and I had a an emotional reaction to that because it is so true. It's something that so many people feel. Healthcare is broken, wellness is confusing. And so just giving that a voice, you kind of have this sigh of relief and now you're like, okay, well what's next? Let's make it simple. Um, and that is what you do. And, I, and we're going to learn more about that. But I want to just set an intention for our time together, because what I think is what I love the most about what you do is that when you talk about health and wellness, it's not just about physical health. It's also about mental health. And I feel like in our society, when it comes to mental health, we're not really having the conversation around the foods we eat and the behavior we have and looking at our whole body, including our mind, in this holistic approach. So I'd love to start off first by asking you, when did you feel like the healthcare system was broken and that we needed to change the conversation? Oh, my gosh. Well, it started at an early age. Um, 
uh, it started really with my first major healthcare experience, which was when I was 11. Um, I was diagnosed with Lyme disease and I was not in charge of my care at that time. Of course, my mom really was. And my brother and I both were diagnosed at the same time. Actually, he, he had symptoms that were worse than mine. Um, as far as, you know, debilitating joint pain and things like that. And it wasn't until he was diagnosed that they sort of looked at me and thought, well, maybe that's wrong with her too. Cause I had different symptoms, but I had symptoms. And so they were able to diagnose me as well. And, um, we did what conventional doctors told us to do with antibiotics. And then once, you know, that didn't really work to alleviate our symptoms, they were just sort of like, you're on your own. We don't really have any other solutions and they still don't really have any other solutions. And so this was, you know, 20 years ago, which is wild over 20 years ago. And, uh, my mom was just a really ferocious researcher and really got into the world of integrative medicine, natural medicine, holistic health, whatever you want to call it, wellness. Of course, we didn't talk about wellness at all at that time. We just called it, you know, natural medicine or whatever. And, uh, really took us on this journey to get us better. And after two years of all these different kinds of therapies, I was better. My symptoms were alleviated and my Lyme was in remission and has been ever since. So I feel very lucky because that's really not the story for many Lyme patients. But that was my first introduction into, wait a minute, these expensive, well-educated, you know, doctors on Park Avenue are not really interested or maybe their hands are tied by the bureaucracy of the system in which they have to operate that they can't really offer anything other than a certain thing that they, we've already tried and it doesn't work. There, there wasn't this sense of, okay, I'm going to roll up my sleeves. I know that didn't work. Let's figure out what would even the things that are just now being researched, but might be promising. Like let's dive in. We'll get your kids better, whatever it takes kind of a thing. Yeah. And this wasn't the messaging at all. And so later, actually, I had fine health from age 13 to, to 18. And then when I was 18, I went to college. And about six months after I got there, I lost my period. And I ended up not having a period or it's called amenorrhea, technically, um, for two years. And that was my second major. Wow, this system is really broken moment. Because again, I started going through a lot of, you know, the whole uh, process when you're trying to figure out what might be wrong with you. And same experience, you know, all these fancy doctors, both at Johns Hopkins, where I was in college, and then also back in New York, where I'm from. And because I'm from there, I have a lot of friends who are, you know, whose parents are notable doctors. So then they let me, you know, get to their friends and cut all these wait lists. And I felt like I am going to get the best of the best to help me. And yet every single one looked at my blood work and really had nothing to say, could not figure out why I may have lost my period, even gave suggestions that were not possible. Like, well, maybe you lost weight. And then we're looking at my weight chart. I didn't lose weight. Well, maybe you're stressed. I'm like, I'm in college. It is really fun. <laughs> um, I am not currently very stressed at all. Um, and, you know, just kind of sent me on my way. They offered the birth control pill, um, which I had already researched and saw that, look, this is not an actual solution. This is a temporary band-aid with a ton of side effects. 
that won't actually help me figure out why my body is not doing the thing it was designed to do as a female every month. (laughs) Um, And so clearly, the not having a period is a sign, a cry for help. And I would like to address this cry for help, you know, rather than just quiet it by getting this fake period on this pill. And they all looked at me like I was insane and, you know, um, non-compliant. But that was what I understood to be, you know, the situation. So I went on my way. I ended up working with a naturopath who, again, I did a protocol related to a strict diet, Chinese herbs, supplements, and was able to reset my cycle. And she said, you know, do this for six months. I did. And my period came back like six months and a day later. I mean, right? Like, I love that story, but it's also frustrating to hear because you had the opportunity to find outside help. You had the awareness. You had a mother who was an advocate and you had the means to try something different. But so many people, the only thing they know is their local doctor. And you said something interesting that they would look at you as non-compliant. And I know that for many people, when they're speaking up against their doctor saying, I don't think this is right. I think there's another way. They feel unheard and judged. And I think oftentimes they just sit quiet because they don't know what else to do. Oh, yeah. I mean, this is also part of the reason that I ended up sitting for the board exam and becoming a board certified patient advocate. Um, in the process of starting Wellbe, which I did, uh, you know, about um, two and a half years ago, and I would say that the being judged, not being heard, being belittled, um, not being offered other options or solutions, and really this just disinterest or apathy about mm. actually resolving and healing versus just band-aiding symptoms was like so pervasive in both of those experiences. And then most importantly, in the experience of taking care of my mom when she was really sick before her death, which we can talk about at some point. Um, but those three experiences really formed, you know, that I think a lot of things happen in threes, but it was, you know, the first one was impactful, but I was a kid. The second one was in college. I was just happy to get my period back. And kind of like, wow, this system is broken, but whatever, I have it back. And then my mom's experience, I was like, all right, I got to do something about this. And I, I changed careers right at that, right at her death and, and um, started, you know, working in, in health and wellness, which I never thought I would do. But um, yeah, those, those things showed me just how broken it is. And then I worked in conventional healthcare with hospitals after I graduated from business school around my mom's death. And, um, that was like a fourth major awareness and eye opening experience that showed me just how broken it was, but from a different perspective, from working within it, not as a patient or as a caretaker, um, just seeing the bureaucracy that exists, the way that it was set up incentivizes more and more treatment and using the most powerful, easy thing first, because it saves the most time. Um, and you know, doctors have on average about seven minutes to spend with a patient. And so what can you do in seven minutes? You have to, you know, order a prescription, order a procedure, or 
um, refer to a specialist. That's really the only uh, thing that you can do in seven minutes or do nothing or send somebody home and say, you know, your pain isn't real or whatever. Um, so it, given that it's not like all doctors are evil or malicious or don't care, they must care in some way because otherwise they would have just gone into, you know, investment banking or law or something <laughs> like that. It's more that they're stifled in a system that doesn't allow them to actually ask what's going on. And they've been taught and indoctrinated in about a decade worth of training that this is how medicine is done. And there's really not another way to do it. Yeah. And I do have empathy because you can see the rates of physician burnout and physician suicide are abnormally high, like abnormally. It, it's bizarre. And it's really because they're not able to practice in a way that actually makes them feel good. They're not able to get people better. They're only able to prescribe drugs, which just kind of mask the problem. Mask the problem. Exactly. And so not only do they not like this process, of course, the patients don't really ever get better. And then throw in our broken food system and you know, the amount of stress that we carry and the amount of sitting that we're doing and the amount of driving everybody's doing and the amount of pollution now on the planet. And you can see how we've created this perfect storm of chronic illness coupled with a medical system that was set up to only treat acute emergencies and infectious disease so that you don't die. And it's like, oh my God, you can see how we got into this crazy mess. Actually, I'll add one more part that makes it so broken, which is the insurance system that was set up after World War II is all related to disease and diagnostic codes. And so you have to have an illness <laughs> to get anything reimbursed. And so it's completely not set up for any sort of prevention or even early signs, right? Somebody doesn't want to get cancer because their parents did, and they're doing all these things that might help that case or help that effort, but nothing can get reimbursed because they don't have cancer yet. Yeah, so it's, yeah. it's, it's like the insurance, the, the physician training, um, obviously there's heavy, heavy pressure from the pharmaceutical and medical device industry to prescribe and do a lot of procedures and surgeries. And then obviously we're all getting very sick from our environments and our food. So I just, it's such a mess that I sort of, that's where the healthcare is broken, you know, and wellness is confusing comes from. Um, I've just basically, my head explodes every time I think about all the inputs and how it went so wrong. Definitely. I feel like I could talk to you for five hours about all of this because there are so many different elements. I, I was very surprised because when I lived in New York City, I was volunteering for this organization that was giving free holistic treatments to women with breast cancer. And so I volunteered to do tapping with them. And going in, I didn't know what to expect. And I just assumed that it would be about the, the cancer, about the diagnosis. And I was shocked that almost everyone who wanted to tap to release stress was tapping on an experience they had with a hospital or doctor or billing. It wasn't even about the disease. It was about the experience that they were going through that was causing them the most stress and anxiety. And it broke my heart. And oh, that's so powerful. Yeah. It, it, it really showed me that we, we need to look closely. So with that, someone's listening. They're nodding their head. I bet you most people have had an experience 
either frustration with an insurance company or feeling like they're not getting heard by their doctors. You have this this incredible background about being a patient advocate. How what would you say to someone who wants to be a better advocate for themselves? Like when we're going into this, we are in this system, the system's broken, but how are there certain things that we can do to save ourselves in this system to not let it completely bring us down? Yes. Oh, there's a lot you can do. Um, Well, first thing that you mentioned, the word advocate, I hate to use it so much, but that is the most important thing you can do. I, I like to tell people to think of themselves as the CEO of their health, of their body. Um, They are really completely in control. And if they choose to partner with different kinds of doctors and practitioners, they can allow that person to give recommendations and advice and explain certain things that they might not understand. But then ultimately, it's the patient saying, thank you so much for your input. I really appreciate it. You know, I really don't do anything without getting multiple opinions. Um, But I will take what you've said into consideration. And I'll let you know if I'd like to proceed with anything that you're mentioning. Um, And just taking back that power to remind because we have this very kind of religious worship experience with doctors in this country. And this very like, oh, the doctor knows best, like talk to your doctor about, you know, all this stuff. And basically, they really are operating from only the training that they had in medical school, which we know was really void of some of the basic building blocks of staying well, like, for example, less than 20% of medical schools require a single course in nutrition. Um, and that's today, less than 20%, even with everything that we know and all the change we're seeing around organic food and GMOs, still less than 20% of medical schools require a single course on nutrition. And I think it's like less than 10 hours over four years is what um, the average medical student spends even thinking or talking about nutrition. And so when you take that into account, you realize they really don't have all the answers. They couldn't. They miss the most important part of medical education, which is what you eat. And the idea of food as medicine, which we know now is very true for most chronic illnesses and chronic health issues. And so once you realize that, you can kind of say, okay, they're not God. They really don't know everything. And different doctors know different things too. And they all have different amounts of fellowships and trainings and these sorts of things. So I'm going to hear them out once I go see a doctor for something and, you know, partner with them to maybe allow them to take my blood work and explain it to me. But that's kind of, that's kind of it. Then I need to do my own research and make sure that I can wrap my head around what's going on and then think about the different options and way, you know, why I would do certain things. And of course, unfortunately, you have to take cost into that or number of treatments or accessibility. And also, like you said, you kind of have to date some treatments. Um, certain things feel right. And you feel like, you know, I, I just started, I started doing acupuncture every two weeks, a couple years ago, and it just felt so right. Like the practitioner, the experience, my back was improving. Like I just kind of knew after a few sessions, like, oh yeah, this is something I'm going to stick with. Um, versus I've tried some other ones and you kind of get schemed out by the practitioner after a few sessions. You're like, I just know in my gut, this isn't really doing anything. 
Right. Well, I have to give people some context because we weren't recording when I said that. But I, I was saying that when it comes to anything around health and wellness, you have to it's like dating. It doesn't mean if you go on one bad date, it doesn't mean that like all men are horrible, but you also don't marry the first person that you meet you know, unless you got really lucky. But there is this this dating, this trying things out and checking in with yourself as to whether you like it or not. Completely. And the same can be true for doctors. I know people who are so intimidated by their doctor or just think that they're a chauvinist or whatever, but they stick with them somehow. And I'm like, you definitely don't have to. Like, there is absolutely no reason to go back to a doctor you don't like. There's, you know, unless you're in a place where there is zero options because it's like quite rural or whatever. But even now today, there's so many sites and companies that are, you know, introducing doctors via telemedicine and things like that. So there are a lot of options now. Yeah. Um, you just have to actually care enough about yourself to get empowered to be that CEO, to really take ownership over what happens to you. And to not let anybody else, not give your power away to anybody else. Right. Something I started to do is anytime I have blood work done, like for example, when I was pregnant, they do, when you're pregnant, they just do blood work on you. I want everything. I want all the documents. I want to have them myself. And you have to ask them because they're not going to give you your blood test results. But I want to see my blood test and I want to see my hormones and I want to have my own copy because that is usually paid by the insurance, especially when you're pregnant. And then those are things that you can use and and get second opinions or, you know, share it with with other types of practitioners. And, you know, if you also if you have blood work done with one doctor and it's still relevant, maybe one or two months later, that's really the window that you want to maybe I I say shop shop that around. If you feel just an inkling that, you know, I, I just like to hear more about what somebody else with a different perspective things might be going on if you're trying to troubleshoot a health issue and figure out the root cause or just what to do next about it. Or they put you prescribed a drug you just know you don't want to take or a procedure you know you don't want to have. Um, that's really the time to do it. So don't procrastinate or delay. Try to do that research and find somebody else to talk to within, I think, about two months or they're going to make you redo yes. <laughs> that blood work. And that's very expensive, very time consuming, all of that. Um, so, and one other thing that I, I do, which is kind of nerdy, but a couple, about a couple months ago, I got, I was going to a new doctor and I just got frustrated with the entire process of a million intake forms. And I just decided I made this spreadsheet, which I'm actually going to be putting in my, um, the Wellbe spark health program, which is, you know, something I'm, um, launching in January with my audience. Um, but just a spreadsheet that has all of your blood tests over the last, I have over the last 10 years, um, which is just an annual blood test every 10 years. So I've got about 10 in there, but you know, it shows all the major things that have been abnormal in the past, um, you know, along one side and the dates and stuff across. And I take it to every new doctor just so they can see what's been going on for 10 years, because the other thing is you might have just gotten a cold or, you know, had a really unhealthy couple of weeks where you were traveling or really stressed and busy, then your blood work might not be reflective of your normal health. You know, it might just be taken out of context and look either better or more dire than it normally is. So having a couple of the last ones helps somebody to see patterns. 
which I find extremely helpful when you're trying to troubleshoot or figure out anything, right? You don't yes. look at like scientists trying to see a pattern in anything, you know, sea ice or animal behavior. They don't look at one or, you know, one day's worth of data. They, they look at many and they look at um, a lot over time to try to understand trends and patterns and make right. sense of things. You know, last, last year, well, almost actually two, two years ago, I had two miscarriages. And so my gynecologist did um, tests with my to figure out my hormones. So she had this sheet and she looked at everything and she said, everything, it looks fine. I go, okay, can I have a copy of it? I took that copy and I immediately went to someone who is an expert in hormones and fertility. So this is her specialty. And she looked at that same test and was like, no, we need to make some changes here. And so even the same test, like, you know, just another example of shopping things around and and finding someone who specializes in the challenge that you're having. And she was able to get me on a protocol that that better supported my body. Oh, um, that's so fascinating. Do you remember what the test was? It was, I think it was my progesterone. It was my progesterone. It was a hormone test, but the issue was my progesterone. Got it. Um, the, my gynecologist said that it was normal. And the fertility person said, no, no this really is on the low end. Yeah, there's huge, I mean, not to get into like a whole conversation about testing, but there's a huge difference between in range or like normal as conventional doctors would say, and optimal. Yes, yes. Um, And on certain things, that range can be like, like zero to 190 or like zero to 400 or something. And if you're at like a three, you're technically normal, but you know, maybe optimal is like 250. So you really are like kind of experiencing the beginnings of an issue, but because it's still within range. And by the way, each lab makes up their own range. So it's very hard to know what's actually should be the range and not to go on too much of a tangent, but the range for certain things actually continues to change as more and more of our country gets sick with different things. For example, mercury, they've had to expand the amount of mercury that's within a normal range because so much of us, so many of us have increasing amounts of mercury from the polluted fish that, that most people eat. Um, and so like, that's a great example of something where they just keep raising it. And so what's optimal is below the number that was allowed, let's say in like, you know, 1970, um, but what's allowed and in range and normal, and they're not going to call you about, you might be right at the top of that and headed for a big problem or already experiencing some low level symptoms that you don't really understand. So then you start popping a lot of other, you know, Advil for headaches a lot or taking like Zantac or whatever. And those things have side effects. So there's a ripple effect if you're not aware that you might be on the edge of an issue or already having these small cries for help from your body yes, and piling things on. So it's way better to get to the root cause and say, all right, let me try to be optimal in these numbers. And then, oh, wow, these other health issues I didn't even realize were associated will, you know, melt away. Definitely. Definitely. So I want to shift the conversation to start talking about mental health. And let me share a little bit, a little background so that you can know where my passion comes from because it it has been a personal experience. I I wrote a book called The Tapping Solution for Weight Loss and Body Confidence. I really got into tapping when I was struggling with 
my body confidence, but the th- biggest thing was binging. I would go on strict diets and then I would binge. And when I finally stopped the madness of trying to find the latest diet and I started to look at how food makes me feel and my relationship with food, the stress around food, the way that I had been was using food to numb my feelings, that is when the change not only happened, but that it was lasting change, right? It wasn't just one week. That's when something really shifted inside of me. And as I was, and it's a process, it wasn't like one day of tapping. I had to really look at my emotions around food. But what I began to realize is that it went both ways. I would have an emotion and I would feel stress. And instead of doing something that was good for me, like tapping or meditating, I would turn to to food. But then the other side is food was also impacting my mental health. It goes both ways. I was eating food that was making me lethargic and also incredibly emotional. I started to realize, I mean, I hate to admit it, I can have a little bit of chocolate, but it's it's cacao. I've tested dairy. I've tested all the things. For some reason, if I have something like cacao, I notice I am I have ups and like really big ups and downs. And I feel like I'm not this centered, grounded person. And so once I realized, oh my goodness, my food, it's not just about my weight, it's also about the way that it's emotionally making me feel, that was this massive revelation to me. And not many people are talking about it. Everyone's talking about weight loss and, you know, feeling healthier, but there is this mental health component. So I'd love to hear your insights around that and in your thoughts around looking at food when it comes to our mental health. Yeah, absolutely. I know how much food affects mental health, both from personal experience and from, you know, a lot of the people that I've interviewed for Wellbe, including two incredible holistic psychiatrists and some other patient stories. So I, I tell stories of health recovery through integrative medicine. I film them. They're some of the most powerful things I've experienced in my time working on Wellbe have been, you know, being having the honor of filming these recovery stories. And a large part of it has been, um, you know, not a large part of it, but a few of them have had um, misdiagnosed mental illnesses that turned out to be either a toxic drug reaction or um, a food allergy, a severe food allergy or, you know, things like that. So food is so important to mental health and really, really not understood. You know, a lot of people are like, I have anxiety and it takes everything in me to say, yeah, but what do you eat? Because Mm -hmm. that plays a huge role. For example, I know that I don't metabolize caffeine very well. And it took me year, it took me till like a year ago to finally switch to at least decaf coffee, because I do love the taste of coffee, but having decaf now has showed me that I am a different person. Like my, my anxiety, my swings, like they're insane when I have caffeine and then I don't feel the same way at all. Um, as long as I avoid it. So that's one thing that was a huge eye opener for me. And then I've learned so much in the last two years, as I mentioned from these different experts I've interviewed about the power of healthy fat and how much your brain needs healthy fat, um, specifically like omega threes. So, you know, things like fish oil and uh, avocados, nuts, things like that. They, that provide this stabilization. Otherwise you're going to get these 
crazy blood sugar swings, um, which really affect how you think and also how you feel in your brain. So if you're going up and down, up and down blood sugar swings, then you feel insane. You know, you feel like you're high and freaking out and like jittery and nervous and anxious. And then you feel like depressed and lethargic and you're, you know, beating yourself up and like, why don't I have more energy? Why can't I go to the gym? You know, whatever. Um, and the whole time it's because you're putting these foods that your brain can't really utilize, or they're not providing the nutritional support that your brain needs to stabilize. And so it, it, it just manifests in a feeling that you have either anxiety or depression or both. Um, when really you just have a diet that's doesn't have enough healthy fat in it. Yeah. Uh, I remember one of the holistic psychiatrists I interviewed said she has like a jar of almond butter in her office for her patients when they come in. <laughs> so she's just like, whoa, we can't even talk about this. Like you're not, you're not able to like realize that, um, you need to just stabilize. So let's get some almond butter in you so that you can think clearly and, you know, calm down. So I thought that was pretty funny, but yeah, food plays a huge role also because besides healthy fat, like we need micronutrients, right? Like we all need to have a certain amount of vitamin D and, and vitamin C and, um, you know, uh, I'm trying to think of, you know, calcium, et cetera in our body. And when we are eating foods that don't have enough of the amount of nutrients that we need every single day or enough you know, minerals and things like that, it, it manifests in not only physical symptoms, but mental symptoms as well. So if you're quite low in vitamin D, which a lot of people are both because they're not getting enough outdoor time and real sun exposure, which is the best way to get vitamin D, but also from, you know, leafy greens and other vitamin D rich foods, then you're going to feel kind of depressed, right? And low because it's, it's, it's like a, you know, direct correlation to kind of like that feeling of when you're outside in the summer and you feel more alive or like your body kind of thinks it's hibernating when you're really low in vitamin D, because the only time that would happen to us when we were, you know, hunting and gathering was the dead of winter when we might be hanging out in a cave most of the time. Right. Yeah. So it doesn't need a lot of energy for that. So it starts to kind of shut down because it's like, oh, okay, we're not going to really do anything for a while. Like I'll wait for us to, to get back out into the outdoors and start eating fresh fruits and vegetables and getting that sunshine. And so if you're trying to fight against that and pursue a life that's, you know, going to the gym and going to meetings and traveling and being on, and you're really low in vitamin D, you're going to feel depressed. Um, because you can't muster the energy that you actually need to support that kind of life. Definitely. I just, it's so important to have this conversation because no one told me that as a kid or even as in my twenties, I had no idea that, that these things could impact your mental health and how you feel. I also, now when I have anxiety, there's, I obviously turn to tapping. I focus on like, well, what is the thought that's creating the anxiety? But then I also take a step back and ask myself, am I dehydrated? <laughs> am I sleeping okay? What have I eaten recently that could be contributing to this? Have I taken my supplements today? All those things need to be part of the conversation instead of us being in our own heads and believing what we're thinking. Because when <laughs> what we're thinking in those moments is not helpful and right. cannot be trusted when our body is struggling like this. Yes. It's very important to realize that the voices in our head <laughs> are 
kind of more or less like out to get us most of the time (laughs) and are not actually our, our real true brain. You know, we have one side that just kind of says a lot of stuff that maybe is coming from the fact that your blood sugar is in a bad swing or you have micronutrient deficiencies. And then when you actually improve those things, those voices might go away or they might be having a totally different experience with what they're telling you. So I think that's so important. I'm glad you brought that up. It took me a very long time to realize that what I hear, I can just kind of like put on a shelf and like you said, run through this mental health checklist of have I moved enough? What am I eating? Did I take my supplements? How am I sleeping? Um, Am I connecting to with people, you know, spending too much time alone or not having, not just like having a hug. A hug is so human connection and touch. It's it's hugely important. And sometimes that can set off a chemical reaction that it just immediately improves whatever weird dialogue you have going on in your head that day. Um, so I kind of run through, I mean, you can even put a five or six point checklist on your notes app and just refer to it anytime you're not feeling so great. Like, have I been doing these things? Um <laughs> to kind of get you out of that. And then, you know what, if you're confident that you are doing, you know, you're moving enough, you you're eating well, you're taking the supplements, you're this or that, then that's when I feel like you can turn to, okay, what do I need to root out here? Like what, what trauma, what fear, what is, what is like the emotional psychological component that maybe I'm just trying to stifle that this is a way for my body to tell me, Hey, (laughs) please don't stifle that. Just get rid of it because it's toxic. Um, and then do something like tapping or, you know, some other modality that uh, helps with getting rid of that trauma or processing it, um, to, to actually release it and then be able to go on your way. Yeah, absolutely. Well, Adrian, I have two questions that I like to ask all new guests. Uh, my, the first question is what is something that happened that at the time felt horrible, but ended up becoming a big blessing? Wow. Um, well, I would say, I mean, all of my health experiences, but the most impactful thing that's happened, um, to me and is certainly the reason I'm doing what I'm doing today was my mom's death, as I mentioned about nine years ago. Um, and her subsequent or her, um, her struggle with mental illness, uh, it was schizoaffective disorder for three and a half years before that in and out of different mental hospitals. Um, and then she died by suicide. And at the time my parents had divorced. And, um, so I was really, you know, taking care of her, um, getting, you know, all these different doctors together and working with my uncle who was her legal guardian. And all of that to say that it took me from, you know, a 22 year old kid still to a very mature adult, um, who had experienced, you know, grief and trauma and these other things. Um, but it was also the big wake up call I had that I, that I needed to work on something that was going to actually change the world and help other people. Mm -hmm. Um, at the time I was working at IBM just doing marketing and I, you know, I don't know what would have happened to me if I, if my mom hadn't died, I don't think I would have ever gotten into the health and wellness world. I definitely wouldn't have become a patient advocate or founded Wellbe. And I think that having purposeful work as hard as it is to be an entrepreneur and figure out all these things that, you know, seem very daunting. 
But that has showed me, oh, like this is what it means to have your life's work just come naturally to you. Like you are interested in the topic. You want to help other people to avoid the things that you've gone through and get through their own, you know, chronic health issues and just prevent the, these things from happening in the first place. And this in a way I think is, is a blessing that I've been able to find that out, but it was obviously a, a blunt force trauma that was there. Um, so I would say, yeah, that's probably, I, I still wouldn't refer to her death necessarily as a blessing, but I think what it allowed me to see about my own work and about my own life and how I wanted to spend my time was, was the blessing that came from losing her. Yes. My next question is a lot lighter. <laughs> it's if you could be any animal, what would you be and why? Oh, wow. <laughs> I know you weren't expecting that one, but I no. always find it fun. Um, yeah. So it's funny. My husband refers to me as a cat all the time. <laughs> um, because I've always been, I'm a major cuddler, which actually cats really aren't, but maybe more like a kitten. I don't know. Yeah, um, yeah. and also because I just love being warm and love, you know, sleeping. I'm a huge sleeper and I've, you know, fought for my ability to continue to get great sleep. I don't have children. So I think that is part of it. I know that once you do that sleep goes out the window, but for now, um, it's a big joke in both my family with my brothers and my dad, and then with my husband that I am a cat, um, for those reasons. So I would go with that. So I would say one of your big values in life is coziness, right? Like wanting to be cozy. Yeah. Yes. Exactly. I think we all need that coziness in our lives. That's great. Well, how can people stay in touch with you and learn more about your work? Yeah. So um, get wellby. It's G-E-T-W-E-L-L-B-E dot com um, is where you can find out everything about, you know, anything else you want to know about me, but also about my program, which I'm very excited to be taking a group of my community through in January. and it's basically all the ways that you can imagine kind of detoxing your home, kind of wellness on steroids, um, your home and your habits to set your life up. It's called the Wellbe Spark Health Program and kind of takes from the Marie Kondo idea of, um, you know, getting rid of things in your health and your, sorry, in your home and your habits that um, contribute to chronic illness, both in the short term and the long term, and only keeping the things that actually spark health. And so, you know, it's been so much work, but it's also been so rewarding to put together all the content and the pre-vetting of all these products and things, because I'm, I want to make sure that everything is really safe that I use. And I realize that a lot of people in my community, um, do too. And, you know, things like optimizing your bedroom for sleep and, and there's eight modules, it's eight weeks. And, um, part of that is also giving people the support from kind of a, patient advocate, health coach situation, um, on my team to get through any chronic health issues and get navigated to functional and integrative practitioners and doctors, and maybe even, you know, be able to share the tapping solution app with them. And, you know, all the things that we've learned about in our network and our database, um, and show people different things that they might use depending on what they're going through. And that's really where my own experiences come in. I, what I really could have used is somebody that's impartial telling me here are all the different ways that you might be able to treat what you're dealing with and take it or leave it. We're not going to say what you should or shouldn't do. And I felt like that, that 
there was too much dogma mm-hmm. and too much like dismissive kind of, oh, that's silly. Oh, that's not science when I was going through different health things. And it turned out to be those things that were dismissed and woo woo and not science that got me better. So that's why I kind of, I think it's really important to have that kind of support, which, um, the program will, will have. Um, so that's where getwellby.com. And then also I'm pretty active on Instagram, um, at getwellby and also have a podcast called the wellby podcast. Wonderful. And I really recommend people check out your website and you have so much content. That's amazing. The videos are, are interesting and beautiful and eye-opening. So definitely everyone go to getwellbe.com. And uh, thank you so much for being with us today. Thank you so much for having me. I've loved our conversation. And like you said, I think we could talk for another five hours. We probably could. Well, I, we'd love to have you back sometime. Oh, that would be my pleasure. Okay.